Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. The biggest trend, which we're going to talk about in this episode, is the the move towards the long tail, towards specialization, and towards personalization. And when you have built your agency on referrals and your personal networks, chances are you have kind of a Noah's Ark of different clients that you're working with from lots of different industries. Uh, And at Sales Schema, what we are helping to do is get our clients in touch with the brands, be they at the growth stage or the Fortune 100 level, that can help take them to the next level. But doing this isn't as easy as it used to be. It's not like you can just flip a switch or blast a list with some emails and expect to get the pipeline full and to close five to seven figure deals. It takes time, it takes consistency, it takes the right positioning, and it takes a high degree of personalization. But there are specific steps that you can take today to build out your outreach calendar. And this isn't inbound content that can work, it can be helpful. This is gonna help you move a lot faster because if once you can go and knock on doors, then you can build the relationship with the brand sooner rather than later before your competitors do. And chances are you have the track record to make that happen. You probably have case studies built up. You probably have a good amount of experience under your belt to get the right people to talk to you. But it's going to require sending them to the right words in a personalized way. So there are specific steps you can take. And what we are going to do is give you the exact video training to do that. It's going to take around 40 minutes to get through it. And to get your hands on that, you can go to saleschema.com slash video training. Again, saleschema.com slash video training. So my question for you is, what do you think of when you think of influencer marketing? And today's episode is going to show you why it's much more than just millennials blogging about jackets and other things like that. It's It can be used in ways that I didn't appreciate before this episode. It can be used in the business-to-business space. It can be used to go deeper instead of just wider. Um, and it's really something that segues with the way that business has been done in the advertising industry and far beyond for hundreds and thousands of years, which is based on relationships at the end of the day. So beyond that, we really got tactical. We got into how you can create a high converting influencer campaign. And I haven't even announced the guest's name yet, so maybe I should do that. So today's guest is John Wall, and he is a partner with Trust Insights, and he also is the host of Marketing Over Coffee. Trust Insights partners with agencies basically to craft their influencer strategy, to map buyer journeys, to create content calendars, and to help them win big pitches by bringing really the the forefront of influencer to their clients. So I'm really confident you're going to get a whole lot out of this episode. So so without further ado, please give it up for John Wall. John, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. And you you guys at, at Trust Insights and at Marketing Over Coffee are very much adept at influencer marketing. And uh, first, I'd love to just start with what is influencer marketing? Because a lot of our audience are with, you know, perhaps older agencies, perhaps agencies that would like to get into influencer, but aren't there yet. So I'd love just from a high level, how you would describe your discipline. Yeah, sure. Well, I think the first thing to do is to look at what has been the hype in influencer over the past year. You know, there's been this incredible explosion of mostly Instagram models, you know, who have millions of followers and have kind of become these crazy celebrities. 
And so that's, you know, when people talk about influencer marketing in the press today, that's pretty much what they've been kicking around. But we look at it in a, in a bigger sense. And basically the term has kind of been co-opted and we're having to work around this now. But the idea for us has always been the influencers are people that already have an audience that is engaged with them talking about whatever, you know, your product is or your vertical or whatever. So there's people out there that if you can get in front of them, you're going to get an exponential boost in the amount of people you get in front of because, you know, they talk to everybody in the space and they've already established the trust in the space. So those Instagram folks do fall into that, that under that umbrella. You know, if you're looking for somebody in fashion, there's a lot of Instagram people or especially um, from um, cosmetics. There's a lot of brands that in Instagram, if you just get over there, you'll be on fire. But then there's a whole bunch of other places out, you know, in other social and in real life too, as far as events and things like that, there's people that you can get in front of to get more of an impact. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And you touched on something important, which is the sort of stereotype of influencer being very much kind of like hip millennials, people doing memes, uh, fashion, you know, uh, hip products, like, like the next new, you know, jacket or something. So I, I'd love to hear from you. Like what are some examples of the underappreciated ways that, um, that, that, you know, companies are using influencer or ways that you might not typically think of, of the space being, being effective. Yeah. You know, one, a big thing that our research has pointed to over the past year is digging deeper and not just going for the follower count and the like count, you know, but going in and mining kind of the discussions that are going on and finding out who are the people that are relevant to the discussions. And, you know, one thing we found as we've dug in is that there's a layer of people who are not celebrities by any stretch. I mean, some of them may even only have, you know, two or 3000 followers in certain social circles, but they just carry a ton of weight. You know, when they see a product and test it out and like it and share it, it goes to a bunch of people and people take them at their word. And those are the kind of people that you want to get to. And so rather than spending tons of bucks on the people who are the top 10, you can dig deeper and find the folks that actually have the engagement. You know, it's, it's not just that they push stuff out, but when they push stuff out, it creates discussion and it gets reshared and it's believed. Um, those are the, you know, the people that you want to go to. And we see people a, you know, able to get 10 times or more the results out of their budget by just getting to the right people. You know, you, you'd think by throwing down tons of money for the biggest folks, you'd get the best bang for your buck, but that's actually not the case. If you dig down a little deeper, you can pay you know, one-tenth the cost and still get better results. Yeah. And that doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all that there's also this kind of Pareto distribution, right? Where you have a very small number of people influencing opinions uh, across the border and influencing the, the, the large slice of the opinions out there. Um, with that in mind, so we talked a little bit, bit about Instagram and that's kind of what you think of when you think of influencer. What other channels are you seeing to be successful and what's, what's the sort of interplay between the channels? Yeah, that's, you know, and this is something that just affects everything as far as your strategy is that every company is unique in what channels are going to be the best for them. And so, you know, if you have a heavy B2B focus, you might find that LinkedIn is just killing it for you. Um, if you're more of a social uh, B2C kind of thing, Facebook may be really strong. And then of course, Google, you know, is strong across the board. So SEO is a big deal. You know, if there are people who write in your space and have their own properties, they actually may be a lot better than chasing social channels. You know, there might be, whether it's trade rags or just in, uh, individuals who are always following the space, you kind of have to go hunt and dig those people up. 
Yeah. Um, and we've, we've definitely seen that for our clients. And one of the programs we're running now is kind of getting our clients featured on niche podcasts, much like we're doing right now. Um, we found that to be really high leverage because, you know, there's a lot of these B2B organizations that have a core competency. And then they're also trying to build out this content platform at the same time, which is great, but it's a huge investment and it takes a long time to, to get moving. So sometimes like the, the fastest way you can move is just to get plugged into the people that are already already have this following and already doing these things. So with that in mind, you know, I think influencer for B2B is something that is a little murkier and isn't covered as well. Are there any examples you can talk about from your experience, like, you know, hooking up with the right people on LinkedIn and how you guys are, are making that happen? Um, well, on the LinkedIn front, the thing that's been crazy that's blown us away is just the proliferation of video, you know, doing videos on LinkedIn has been a, a huge boost for us over the past year or so. Um, they've really made a, a huge transition going from just kind of resumes online and gr- some groups to having a full on social feed that gets a lot of action and traffic. Um, but yeah, we haven't had anybody really bounce out as kind of like a, a champion influencer on that front. You know, I can't point to any single person that once you get them on board, um, you know, they were able to move the needle. So I think that's something that's still, LinkedIn kind of goes out of their way to make sure that people can't run that wild on it. I mean, the thing that we do see all the time, and this is a quick easy hit, is the just spam tagging, you know, doing some kind of post and naming 10 or 15 people in the space who have some influence. Um, And that has mixed results. I mean, it definitely does. It it all comes down to the content. You know, if the content is on the mark, that kind of stuff does spread like crazy and can generate a lot of action. Uh, At the other end of the spectrum, you get people that are angry that they've been tagged and pulled into stuff. Um, But, you know, you have to be doing something kind of really sleazy to kind of get in trouble with that. I mean, if you're doing something above the board and it's decent content, that kind of thing can work for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty interesting. So to, to go, to go towards, you know, planning a campaign. So if I'm, if I'm, you know, a creative or or an owner at at an agency and I'm thinking about bringing influencer to my client, let's say it's a more typical example like a consumer brand, what's the right way to start thinking about who you're going to work with and who you're going to identify? Yeah. So, you know, the one thing that we found is a great indicator is looking at all the, the events, you know, the in-person live events for your space, because you've got a, uh, you've got a bias there. You know, people are going to pay cash and travel to see the folks that are going to these events. So that's a great way to kind of make a first cut of like, okay, who are the players? Who does everybody want to hear from and who has more than normal, um, impact on the whole audience. And so by looking at all the major events across your space, that's an easy way to kind of pick off the folks that have outsized influence over the rest of the, uh, the rest of the mix. Um, and then of course there's a slice there too of vendors too. You know, you can look at which vendors are doing better than others. And then from there you can branch out and now do SEO analysis on all of the vendors and look at like what content from each of those vendors actually works, what topics are hot and who are they tapping as influencers. Um, because, you know, if they've already done a bunch of work in this space, you can draft off that and, you know, see who the players are and who to get involved with. Yeah, I love that because it just dovetails so perfectly with with a lot of the strategies we do, which is using events to get meetings for our clients, you know, before, during and after the meeting, because an event is going to signal so much more. It's going to signal that you're an insider. You're not just like an outside salesperson. So it moves into B2B too. And, and obviously it, what you're doing. So so once, you know, you've selected these influencers based on events or based on something that, that is ascribing, you know, a high level of influence, what's the right strategy for, you know, 
getting in touch with them at scale for compensating them uh, for making sure that is that the plug is successful and not just doesn't just come off as as overly you know forced or something like that i'd love to hear your thoughts on that yeah no and and that we start to get into stuff that's not as data driven um it's more um, anecdotal, but one thing that we've stuck with is that it, you know, from what we've seen, it does seem to make a lot more sense to go very small, pick a list of three to five at the best ones that you can work with and commit to long-term with them, you know, try and get something spread out over time. Cause like the worst case scenario is you dump a bunch of money on the biggest names in a six month campaign. And then six months later, they're talking about whoever else has paid up there, you know, drop the money on them for that quarter. And that's, you know, you may get that initial bump, which is great, which everybody, you know, you need the quarterly bump of numbers and we totally understand that. But if you can, you know, working with somebody over two or three years and bringing them back and keeping them in front of your employees just really increases their commitment to you. You know, if they know that you're going to be on for over a long period of time, they get a lot more involved in what you're doing and they're just, you know, they're always talking about you, especially if you've got somebody that's doing events, you know, if they're doing 10 or 12 events a year, if they're mentioning you at every one of those events, you know, that kind of stuff can really work. So, but there is, you have, you know, a full spectrum of everything from a thousand bucks for a single message on, you know, a podcast or a blog up to you're almost making them an employee. You know, you've got kind of major cash you throw down annually or quarterly to have them on retainer so that you can just get X number of hours or posts or however you want to structure that, but have an ongoing thing where, um, you know, they're really latched on to you. And uh, the, yeah, as long as you get the right fit, that's the big, the big thing is because you're looking for people who are either already using your product and love it, or, you know, after they've been introduced, they already know the space and they do see that you're the best fit there and you're the one to go with. And uh, it's like having a, a super powered customer, really. Right, right. And let's talk a little bit about the, the first example where somebody's already using the, the, the product without, you know, obviously giving away anything you can or without getting too far into the weeds, what's your process like for identifying those people, right? So you have somebody, they've mentioned uh, a coat or they've mentioned a, a fashion accessory, let's say, how are you identifying that they're worth the time and effort of enlisting? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple ways that they can bubble up. But, you know, for a lot of people, it's just, okay, they've bought a bunch of stuff and then you see them post on social. I mean, that right there, that's kind of a low level influencer, an ambassador, you know, they may not be able to have a huge crowd, but at least they're always saying kind of great things and are excited about you. So that's it. So going through your own customer database and mining for folks who should be influencers, the you know, big tip offs for that are uh, like for fashion or whatever, somebody that is buying every quarter, somebody that keeps coming back and watching like what's new and they want to stay in front of the trend. Those people are hot. Um, from your social monitoring software, anybody that you just see returning over and over, you know, if they're like posting again every quarter when the new stuff comes out or whatever, uh, you can then flip that and be like, okay, look, we'll give you access two weeks early to this stuff and you can try it on and, you know, go social with it. And you can basically, you know, even discount coupons, right? You don't even have to do any cash out of hand. You could just give them a discount on pro uh, product and early access and another angle on that too, if you're, you know, not outside of fashion, if maybe you're in some kind of software, getting people on your customer advisory board and getting their feedback both on new releases and on new features they'd like to see. Both those, I mean, God, you know, you look at salesforce.com, their community is just so massive and so huge of people that were just let into, you know, behind the velvet rope. 
to go to better sessions or to be able to give feedback on things. And yeah, some of these people, they get more bang than for, you know, influencers that they pay thousands of dollars because that's, that really goes to, to the core of it. It's um, fanatical customers, you know, just like wildly satisfied fans that are customers. Those folks, uh, you really, you don't have to throw cash at them because they believe in what you're doing and what the product is all about. Yeah. And, and the more you say, the more it maps to, to our experience and to what we're seeing to be the difference between agencies that are being effective and, and ones that are. And it's largely just this, the way the whole world's moving, which is towards the long tail, towards specialization, towards more personalization. And what I find is that for our clients and ourselves, it's hard enough just to maintain relationships and to learn about your market. And it's like a fractal. Like the more we zoom in on our market, the more I learn and the more complex it is. So to do that with multiple markets or a whole bunch just becomes an impossible undertaking. And I think from the brand side, we're seeing that brands more and more are partnering with, with specialists because that's just what it takes nowadays. I guess, you know, just to, just to um, kind of go into that a little bit, I'd love to hear like, does that map with your experience? Is that what you're seeing? And how much does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, we, I've just seen insane stuff on this front where people don't realize how, um, they have certain employees in-house that develop the relationship with these influencers. There is a ton of institutional knowledge that's at that point right there. And if anything happens to that person and you lose them, then you lose the relationships with the influencers. That can just wipe your marketing efforts out over the next year. You know, and the other way to think about that too is these influencers are great ways to tap into institutional knowledge like that. I mean, if you have a great relationship with this outside influencer and you lose a key employee, if there's somebody else that's involved in that relationship, we see this all the time where the influencers are going back in and saying like, no, this is how you guys did it last year when we did this. You know, they're, they're telling them like, here's the stuff that worked so well last year and you don't lose that, uh, all that knowledge and what's happened with it. Um, yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, indicator of a bigger thing where I think so many corporations have a crisis with not making a commitment to their employees, you know, the, in this era of easy layoffs and, and constant shuffling of employees, it's people who have relationships with the important people that that can be transferred, you know, easily. If a company doesn't treat that person right, they can go to the competitor and drag those influencers right along with them. Um, and then there's such a huge market for influencers who actually know the client better than they know the client themselves. You know? Right. Right. That, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So you almost have these little roving bands of specialists that can, can move around a lot more easily than giant holding companies or, or something like that, I think is what, is what we're seeing. Um, you know, with, with, with that in mind, one thing we've talked about in the past a little bit is the customer journey and the different, points of the conversation that matter more than others. So I'd love it if you could go into that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So we've been doing some work with machine learning to model the digital customer journey. And um, so many other attribution programs in the past are just looking at kind of the checkpoints and then you have to decide, it's like, okay, who are we going to give credit to this customer, you know, to the last thing they did or the first thing they did, or are we going to get crazy and have some kind of formula? You know, they did 10 things, so we'll give a 10th of a point to each one. And you can you know, guys like Avinash Kaushik have done hundreds of thousands of hours and effort to, to build these models out and make them work. But one thing that we did was coming at it from the, the other end of looking at grabbing somebody's Google Analytics and just throwing that whole thing into a machine learning model and having that go through and pick out the patterns and see where the clusters are of things that happen. And so, yeah, our, 
you know, the goal is to have a map where you can look over time. Okay. So here's when they first come see us and here's when the, you know, the deal is closed and maybe even you have extended paths to, um, you know, upsell and to continued journey, but looking at all your marketing programs and where they fall on that whole curve. And so it, it's pretty common, you know, we see for most companies, it's like Google organic search usually shows up very early right at the top of the board. And then maybe you see a lot of your email campaigns around the middle. And then there's usually demo requests or, you know, promotions or trade shows, live events down at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to have an accurate map of like, okay, here's all the programs where they fall in the timeline and the percentage that they influence the thing. Like we see for, we would consider organizations unhealthy if they have like more than 30 or 40% organic Google, because that means that now you're just relying on Google search results and your, your marketing campaigns aren't actually pushing customers forward. And so you want to try and wean yourself off of Google organic because that's just a risk. And then on a more healthy map, it would be great if you have a bunch of stuff between 10 and 25, 30%. And, and then you can go through, and a lot of times what we'll see is people will find something on that map and be like, oh my God, we haven't updated that blog post in two years. And just by updating the blog post, you could increase your business by, you know, 10, 15% because that, you know, search engines are going to that. And if it's fresh content, you're actually going to bump your SEO up. You know, it's going to get more inbound traffic and you can uh, drive more activity. But so, yeah, having this map of kind of how all your programs are doing and how much impact they have is, is an easy win. And then on the flip side of that too, the programs that don't show up on the map, you know, you're doing some stuff and then suddenly a year later, you're looking like, oh my God, of all the deals we've closed, like nobody ever does this webinar series or something. You can start to prune the tree and, and get the dead weight out of there. Yeah. And there, there's so much to, to cover there. And I, I love that because it's, it's, it's the classic Dan Kennedy line, you know, little hinges, swing big doors sort of situation where there can be one post or, or one thing where if you optimize, it's going to bring in a lot more people or bring in a lot more revenue. But I'd love, love to dig that, dig into that a little bit more. So, you know, if, if you're well ranked and there's people organically coming to your site and buying stuff, why, why is that inherently risky? Why is that something that you, you definitely want to expand upon? Yeah. You, the, the one, the big specter is you have a competitor that just starts doing a better job at SEO and steals the oxygen, you know, takes it away completely from you. Um, a, an amazing example of that is HubSpot. They are publishing so much marketing content that is just optimized to the teeth that anybody else in that marketing space, you know, if they had an SEO advantage, they better be defending against HubSpot because HubSpot has, has got them on the, the list to hit. Um, the other side of that is, you know, Google itself too. And it, this is, um, Rand Fishkin has been writing a bunch of stuff about this, how Google is going out of its way to make sure that you get the answer you want right in the search results. Like you don't even go through to the traffic. So if you've got some article on the right way to do something, you know, the five best ways to do something. Yeah. You may be getting the traffic today, but don't be surprised if next week, suddenly when somebody searches for that term, a summary of your article pops up right on the Google search results page and they don't even come to see you. Um, so those are the two big you know, risks is that you're, um, uh, you, know, you could just get displaced or that Google actually cannibalizes you know, the, the gift they're throwing you right now. Right, and, and the big trend that I'm seeing and that your, your experience seems to map with is the idea that there's a far fewer hacks than there used to be. <laughs> you, know, you have to kind of do the hard work and do the things you're supposed to be doing anyway. So if you're doing content, it's gotta be good, it's gotta provide value. And for us doing outreach, we've got to be getting into the right inboxes, the right messages to the right people. And if, if we don't, then it's not going to work. 
Um, and it's, it is pretty much that simple. There's a far fewer, uh, you know, both in the content space and with outreach or any other space, it seems to be that there's fewer ways to just flip a switch and outcomes the business type models. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And if that's something you, you agree to see or disagree with. Yeah. So yeah, you know, anybody that's been in the industry for a while knows that there used to be just this whole laundry list of technical tricks. And in the beginning, it was just very ridiculous, simple stuff like, you know, having white text on a white background with the right keywords, like people could manipulate the search engines that way, you know, you could get number one on Google by doing that kind of junk. I mean, that's, this is like over 10 years ago. And over time, it's just continued to morph. And it's come to the point today where the technical tricks are almost all gone. I mean, you've got kind of your, your snippet summary and your meta tags, making sure your images, alt image text is right. You know, those are kind of like the last surviving tech tricks. And everything now is all about the content. You know, you want to make stuff that's, it's shareable. That's the biggest thing. If Google sees that somebody goes to this and then they see it getting more action or, you know, they go and they don't come back because they're question solved. Yeah. All about quality content. Another interesting thing on that too, though, getting into now the content is actually getting into that is becoming more technical and advanced. Um, in the past, it used to just be keywords and phrases. You know, you would just try and get a single word or maybe two or three word group clusters. But now we're seeing more, Google is doing so much semantic analysis that when we look, we will actually bundle up, you know, six or seven, four or five word phrases all in a batch. And we found that optimizing for all those phrases in single posts does way better than just trying to hit on a single three word phrase. Hmm. You know, Google kind of knows that, whole phrases of text tend to show up um, in certain types of uh, content and being able to match that and um, yeah, have quality content clustered around itself uh, can actually give you a lot more of an advantage than thinking about it on a page at a time. Right. Cause it's getting smarter and it can kind of get the gist of a whole article as opposed to just what the article might be talking about. So that's, that seems like it would happen and it's, it sounds like that's what's, what's playing out. Um, one, one question I have, and this might not make sense and uh, I might butcher it, but there's a book I'm loving called, uh, Alchemy by, by Rory Sutherland, who's a VP over at Ogilvy. And he, he's very much an old school ad guy and he has some, some really interesting perspectives. And one point that he makes, if I can do it justice, justice is that, you know, big data and machine learning tend to come with billions of data points that all come from the same place, which is the past. And they tend to confirm the status quo. Um, and on the other hand, sometimes you have just one data point, which is kind of like thick data. It's like one little thing that tells you so much um, and tells you more a whole, a whole lot about the future and about huge potential wins as opposed to just confirming kind of what you already know or generally know. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and if that's, that's something you, you would agree with and if that's something you're seeing as you dig into influencer and other spaces. Yeah, well, that, you know, so much of machine learning or artificial intelligence is just based on the prior data set. And so the thing you've got, there's two big things that throw that off. One is they talk about like black swan events or just something that is completely, you know, unseen and completely changes the game. And for a lot of entrepreneurial companies, that is the space they're playing in. You know, they have a hard time cracking through, but then once they do break through, they kind of explode because they're doing something totally different and unique. And then the other threat is bias too. You know, when you look at past information, like the the one that gets trotted out all the time is the the whipping boy is uh, Amazon hiring. You know, they would go back and look at ten years worth of hiring to come up with a model of what they need go for going forward, not thinking about the fact that you know they were at 
you know, well over 50% male. And so by using that data, you're biasing the future data to go male. And so those are the kind of the two threats that never before happened or the, you know, bias that you haven't thought about and you act on that and, and get yourself painted into a corner. Um, but for, you know, for everybody else, a, a good indicator is if you're competing against two other people, well, then you're, you're not, it's not a black swan thing. Like this is something that's growing across the board. And so past data will, you know, get you where you need to go and give you a much better idea of how to optimize. It may not, um, uh, it may not give you an explosive growth, but it will definitely position you better against the competition. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it seems like sometimes as you're going for depth instead of breadth, and as you guys are kind of helping your clients partner with, with these more meaningful influencers, that there might be more opportunity for the sort of anecdotal little observations on the margins that provide a lot more leverage than just, oh, we changed this page and we got, you know, point at X percent increasing conversions or something like that. Yeah. And like, so with machine learning, if we analyze the conversations, what we'll find is you'll see a topic that um, today is, has high velocity around people who have been tagged with more influence. And we've seen from future data that that pretty much is an obvious prediction that six months from now, it will make it over to the mainstream. Like yeah. if it hits a certain tipping point among the influencers, it will cross over to the mainstream, uh, you know, within a fixed period of time. So we had, like we did some uh, food manufacturing stuff and oat milk and hemp milk. Like we saw that coming about a year and a half ago that, that those were going to be huge. And sure enough, yeah, the, the volume is, those things are starting to spike now and, and getting action. But yeah, being able to target those. And that's where you can make the money with the influencers too, because if you grab them before everything's on fire, you're not paying the same rates that they're going to get a year later when everybody wants them to be a keynote and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Everything becomes sort of a metaphor for the stock market or horse race at the end of the day, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, so that makes sense. And it's almost like the, uh, the new digital version of like whatever was happening in California or the Bay area, right? Like fish tacos get really big out there and you're going to see them in New York or Cincinnati and six months later. Or something. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, the, so, trending yeah. food. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And, and I know we're getting towards the end of the time. Um, one, one thing I would love to learn a little bit more about is, is, is how kind of how you're working with agencies. I know that pitch assistance um, is a big thing you guys are involved in. So I'd love to, to hear how you guys are helping agencies win, win, win clients during the pitch. Yeah, sure. So it's, you know, the biggest thing is just providing more information about their prospective clients so that they can go into the pitch and give them a better um, idea of what's going on. For example, the digital customer journey that we were talking about that map. I mean, we charge 850 bucks for that. Um, and it's a great report where you can just run the single report and then be able to go into a client and say, Hey, look, did you realize that here's how all your campaigns are doing and where they're landing? And you get, being able to give somebody a picture like that can really show that you took the time to dig into their business a little more. Um, we have a, sing, uh, a similar report, the most valuable page analysis, where we look at their Google analytics and show them which content is the hottest, you know, the stuff that's actually driving the most traffic for them. And, and that's another one that kind of gets them on board. Um, and then the other end is from SEO side too. There's a lot of tools that we run and reports we can do where you can just say to somebody, Hey, look, here's the content that your top five competitors are getting the majority of their inbound organic traffic from. And you don't have these three kinds of posts on your website, you know, being able to show people, Hey, here's four or five simple, easy projects that we could do that we can guarantee are going to, you know, give you 30, 40% more traffic. Those kinds of things are, are uh, very um, easy, you know, low barrier to get started, but they're quick and easy projects that you can show some success with and help get in the door. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That sounds like uh, really high leverage and helpful. Um, and one, one, you know, kind of last cliche question I like to ask on these things is, is what, what trends are you seeing? You know, it could be in the marketing world or the world at large that you, you're, you were finding to be interesting that you think uh, people should be paying more attention to. The biggest thing right now is that kind of over the past decade, we've bought all these tools and we have all this data, but the challenge now is like, you have to string all this stuff together to be able to get some meaningful insight. And that's, you know, it's just what has got me so excited. It's so great when you finally get two or three things working together and you can get that finished report out and say, okay, oh, here's, you know, here's what the picture actually looks like. Um, and, and to be able to get to the finish line there and be able to say definitively like, okay, the stuff we're working on, this does move the deals forward for us. You know, that's the most exciting stuff if you can prove stuff that's working. Yeah. Finding the signal basically, that makes sense. So John, uh, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can check me out. We're at uh, trustinsights.ai. And then of course, Chris and Penn and I are always talking marketing every week over at marketingovercoffee.com. So uh, you can swing on over there. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks again for listening to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. We will be back before long. Again, today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema, and we are giving away our video training, which is going to show you how to build an evergreen growth engine for your boutique agency. It's going to show you how to use specific outreach methods over LinkedIn, email, and phone to get yourself in touch with growth stage to Fortune 100 companies that can invest five to seven figures in marketing services and getting those relationships with your future clients before your competitors do. It's going to take around 40 minutes to get through, and I know you're going to get a whole lot out of it. So to get your hands on that, you're going to want to go to saleschema.com slash video training. Again, saleschema.com slash video training. Thanks again, and I'll see you soon.